Welcome. You are listening to Bible teaching from Island Community Church in downtown Memphis, Tennessee. We hope today's message helps you grow in relationship with Jesus. You can access more gospel resources and ways to connect with our church at iccmemphis.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome to Island Community Church, and I just want to tell you personally how grateful I am that you're here. Um, Incredibly thankful for the opportunity we have to gather today as a church family. If you're new this morning, a special welcome to you. Uh, My name is Barrett. I'm one of the pastors here at Island Community Church, and we are a big family who's united by faith in Jesus, and we're certainly glad that you have chosen to worship with us today. We love you. We hope you feel God's love for you today. Um, I want to just have a time of prayer before we get started. Um, We're going to move into a time where we open the Bible and we hear from God's Word and we take time to look at it and hear from Him. But I want to pray for you and also for this time that it would be encouraging and helpful to you, um, but also very honoring and glorifying to God. Father, thank you for the opportunity we have to gather today and we Lord, thank you um, for the grace that you have given in your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we are all so needy for your grace, and we thank you for the outpouring of your love, the outpouring of your grace, the gift that you have given, who you are, and what you've done for us in Jesus. Lord, I pray today that we would know you more. I pray today that we would hear from you as we open your word, Lord, that we would listen to these words as they are your very own to us. Lord, I pray that we would sense the movement of your Holy Spirit in our hearts and in our lives, that we would receive today what is needed, and Lord, that we would be moved to greater degrees of trust and surrender toward you. God, we pray all of this In the name of Jesus, who loved us and gave himself for us. In his name we pray, amen. Well, if you've got your Bibles today, I would encourage you to get them open to the book of Romans, as today we are going to be continuing our series called What He's Done. We've been talking throughout this series about the gospel. If you know the verses that are on the screen, you're welcome to say them with me. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Throughout the series, we've been talking about the good News, and I do mean it with a smile on my face. There is good news. In the Gospels, um, what we have is a message, a declaration, an announcement that comes to us of something that God has done to save us in Jesus Christ, all of us who believe. And the book of Romans is all about this good news. And I've been saying from the beginning that it's imperative. I've been pleading with you to pay attention, to lean in as we're going through this book because the gospel is foundational and it is transformational for life with God, both now and forever. 
In the first five chapters of the book of Romans, we looked at how the gospel is foundational. Namely, we looked at what God has accomplished for us in the gospel. But in these recent chapters, chapters six through eight, what we've been in the middle of a journey of discovering is how we've got to learn not only what God has accomplished for us historically and foundationally in the gospel, but also what God wants to accomplish in us through the gospel. That's what we're talking about, how the gospel is both foundational and what? Transformational. In other words, it affects us from the inside out. So we're right in the middle of the section of Romans where we're talking about how the gospel transforms us from the inside out. And I've been saying in recent weeks that when you trust Jesus, you'll always experience a transformation in Jesus. How Jesus came and the gospel given, not only for our eternal salvation, but also for our daily deliverance. How Jesus provides us not only forgiveness, although he does give us forgiveness, but how Jesus also wants to give us ever-increasing degrees of freedom. This is foundational and transformational. How Jesus delivers us, not only from the penalty of sin, but also from the power of sin. Anybody here interested in eternal salvation? Anybody here also interested in daily deliverance? Anybody here interested in forgiveness? What about freedom? Anybody here interested in being delivered from the penalty of sin? What about the power of sin? This is the essence of what Paul is talking to us about here in the book of Romans. And today, we're going to have opportunity, you're going to have opportunity to go a step further as we talk about this particular passage of our focus today. I want to talk to you today about belonging to God. We're going to be looking at a section of Romans from where we stopped last time. We're going to be picking up chapter 6, verse 15, and we're going to read through chapter 7, verse 6, all right? Now, I want to remind you, when the Bible was written, Paul did not write in chapter and verse numbers. That may be shocking to some of you, but he actually wrote this as one congruous letter, all right? No chapter and verse numbers in the original text. We've done that based on the organization that we see. But today, I'm going to talk to you about what I believe is a, a congruous theme from chapter 6, starting in verse 15, all the way through chapter 7, verse 6, this theme of belonging, belonging to God. Last time, at the beginning of chapter 6 of Romans, we talked about, we began to talk about two ways that sin our choice to rebel against God and turn from God has affected every single one of us. It's affected you. One main way that sin has affected you is it's brought death, spiritual and physical death. We talked about that at the start of Romans chapter 6. And we talked about how we, as we're united with Christ, can experience a new birth as we're united with Christ, he makes us alive spiritually and he promises that we will be alive with him in our resurrected body as his resurrected body forever. Praise be to our Savior. 
But today, as we continue to journey through Romans, we're going to be talking about the second way that sin affects all of us. And that is that sin creates bondage in our life. We'll talk more about this in a second. But today, as we turn to the text, we're going to be hearing about this bondage that is created as we choose to walk away from God. And we're also going to be talking about the ways in which Jesus Christ, as we turn to him and are united to him by faith, the ways that Jesus Christ brings freedom. (laughs) He brings freedom from bondage to sin and bondage to law. We'll talk about it in a second. Let's read first the text, Belonging to God, from Romans 6, starting in verse 15. The main point this morning is this. I want you to listen to it as we listen to the text. Jesus delivers us from bondage to sin, setting us free in every moment and for all time to belong wholly to God. This is good news, friends. <laughs> Jesus delivers us from bondage to sin, setting us free in every moment and for all time to belong wholly to God. Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 15, and I read from the English Standard Version. What then? Are we to sin because we're not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you are committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things at which you are now ashamed? For the end of these things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and become slaves of God, the fruit that you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life." For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Chapter 7, verse 1. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she'll be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, 
she's free from that law. And if she marries another man, she's not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you might belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not the old way of the written code. This is God's word. Today we're gonna be talking about belonging to God. If you got something to write with and you're a note taker, I always love it if you can take notes, if you would consider the opportunity to. I know not everybody learns that way and that is okay, but if it's something that works for you, I would encourage you to, to find a way to write notes. Belonging to God from this passage. If you haven't already read it, written down the main point, I would also encourage you to do that. I want us to say it together. Jesus delivers us from bondage to sin, setting us free in every moment and for all time to belong wholly to God. Two ways that sin has affected every single one of us. Number one, death, and number two, bondage. Today, we're gonna be exploring the ways that sin has affected us as it relates to bondage and how Jesus sets us free. Sin creates bondage, okay? This is a starting point for us all. We're gonna look specifically at how this happens as we go through this text. But you need to know today that as you choose to walk away from the Lord, you have, we have all done it at one point in our lives. We have all done it in repeated ways in our lives. But our choice to walk away from the Lord, to put something else in his place, our sin creates bondage. Even before we get into the text of Romans, I just want to remind you of something that Jesus taught. John chapter 8, verse 31 to 32. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Again, Jesus comes to bring freedom. But there's many of us who ask the question that the disciples asked. They answered him, well, we're offspring of Abraham. And we've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you'll become free? In other words, if you don't understand that you need freedom, then you're not going to truly appreciate and admire Jesus that he has come to set you free. And there's many of us this morning, even before we start the message that I really believe, you go, okay, Jesus came to bring freedom. I don't, I don't really get it. Like, what are you talking about? Like, why does this even matter? What, do you, what difference does this make? And Jesus says back to them and to you who maybe are curious and answer the question, and it's a good question that you ask. But Jesus answered to them, John 8, 34, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. In other words, what he's saying is, I, he's saying truly, truly, anytime you have 
Jesus is saying, truly, truly. He's going, hey, 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 listen up. I, I can't tell you anything more true than this. When you've given yourself to sin, you've got to know something about yourself. You have been put into a position of bondage into that sin. And you need freedom. So this morning, Jesus is saying to you, listen up. Because you need to know something that is true. You not only need forgiveness, but you need freedom. And he has come to set you free. This morning, I want to talk to you about three things. So if you're an organized thinker, we're going to be kind of moving through three sections. Because these are the three sections of the text. We're going to be talking about our beginning point in bondage. And then we're going to be talking about how Jesus sets us free. And then we're going to be talking about, with our freedom, how Jesus calls us to belong to him. So these three words, bondage freedom, and belonging, okay? So if you're tracking with me this morning, that's kind of how we're going to be moving through the text. And we're going to start by looking at bondage, by looking at bondage. There are two analogies that are used in this section of the text, and both analogies are going to be used in all three sections to show us our bondage to show us how Jesus sets us free, and to show us what it looks like to now use our freedom to belong to him, okay? Two primary analogies. The first analogy that is used, Paul uses the analogy of slavery. And he sets up this to show us how there's two ways that we're in bondage. The first way we're in bondage is to sin itself. And he uses slavery to describe to us how, in fact, um, we are in bondage to sin itself. He says, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you become slaves of the one to whom you obey? Now, what he's saying here is no one is free. No one. In fact, what he's helping you to understand is everyone is a slave to something or to someone. He uses kind of a, he personifies the decision that we make. Everybody is a slave to something or to someone. Everyone lives for something. Everyone offers themselves as a sacrifice on some kind of altar. We are all doing it. And that something becomes a master to us. And we become its slaves. We become in prison to whatever it is that we have offered ourselves to. He goes on in verse 19. He says, I'm speaking in human terms. If you look at your Bible because of your natural limitations. For just as you presented your members, he says here, as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. Now, what he's helping us to understand is that we had a choice whether, where we were going to present ourselves, to who or to what we were going to give ourselves. And yet, all of us 
have made a choice to give ourselves unto sin. He says, all of us presented our members as slaves to impurity, to lawlessness. He goes on and describes how for when you were slaves of sin. Verse 21, he describes the end of these things being death. Sin creates bondage. And bondage to sin itself. I just want to pull up for a second and just just ask ourselves, because sometimes we could get involved in the text and it feels kind of heady, it feels very theological. But if you just think about this yourself, you guys, like you know this bondage from your own experience, don't you? All of us have broken, sinful, dark areas in our hearts, in our lives. Whether it's anger, whether it's an addiction to achievement. I can't stop thinking about what other people think of me. I'm obsessed with doing more, moving up the ladder. Just, just a little, little bit higher, if, if people could just recognize me a little more. Some of us have become obsessed with things like control, keeping everything in order. Some of us, it's power. Some of us, it's wanting to be accepted. Our relationships. Some of us, it's turning to things like pornography, things like alcohol, things like drugs, things like overeating or buying more and more things that we are have, we're looking for something and we have attached ourselves to a particular way to cope. And it seems like we cannot get out of that particular way of coping. We know that we are broken and yet we continue in that brokenness. The, the initial choice has been followed by another choice and another choice and another choice and it feels as if We cannot get out of continuing to choose in that pattern of behavior. And it's because Jesus is telling us the reality, the spiritual reality is that you can't get out of it on your own. It becomes a new kind of master for us. Some of us, it's codependency on other people. For some of us, it's bitterness, unforgiveness, for others of us, it's lying, or perhaps it's gambling. I mean, you, you, you name it for yourself. All I'm trying to say is we got to be real about this. When Jesus looks at us and says, look, yo, like, you start down that path, don't you see that you've become a slave to sin itself? This is not just like theoretical. This is personal. 
Was it, we know this. What is it for you? you? You know this. This is your story. In some way or another, it's mine too. Sin creates bondage. We're not just broken. We are in bondage. The thing we've turned to at one point, other than God, as our solution for life's problems has become the problem itself. Let me say that again. The thing you turn to, other than God, for a solution, a quick fix, or what you thought would be an even more permanent fix to life's problem at the moment, has actually become the major problem of your life. We're controlled by that to which we've offered ourselves. You, you could describe it as getting stuck if you don't like the word of bondage. You're stuck in it. While your world is falling apart, you're, you're stuck in it. You're, you're stuck in that habit or you're stuck in that anger. You're stuck in that cycle. And you can't get unstuck on your own power. We feel out of control. We feel the effect of it killing us physically, emotionally, mentally, and we feel it spiritually. We know this, don't we? This is our story. We're in bondage to sin itself. But there's another analogy that Paul uses to describe a second way that we're in bondage. Not only are we in bondage to sin itself, but secondly, the second analogy comes in, and it's going to carry through through all three parts of this passage. The, the, the second analogy is one of marriage, and the second way that bondage is created in our lives is not only to sin itself, that's the first bondage, but secondly, to life under the law. Living under the law. A bondage to the law itself. And this analogy is the analogy of marriage. Okay? So what he's saying is, first, you got to see yourself as a, a slave in ways, one who's fettered to the sin that you initially chose and you can't get out. And second, you got to see yourself as a spouse in ways, one who's been bound to the law and you can't get out of it. Chapter 7, verse 1. And do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding. Here it is. This is the picture of bondage. The law is binding on a person as long as he lives. And then he starts talking about this marriage thing. For a married woman is bound to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she'll be called an adulteress. She lives with another man while the husband is alive. But her husband dies. She's free from that. She marries another man. She's not an adulteress. And then in verse 5, it talks about while we were living in our flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law at work in our members. What he's doing here is he's helping us to see not only are we in bondage to sin, but there in verse 1, he's talking about how we are bound also to this life under the law. And the picture he's given us, it's like we've been, as soon as we've chosen to sin, what happened to us is it put us in this posture of also being up underneath this heavy weight of the legal requirements of God to the degree that it's like we got married to this life in the law. And this marriage covenant is a binding covenant. Like there's no way out of it. So not only have we 
chosen against God, but we, there's no way out of this continual experience of knowing that we have chosen against God, we've rebelled against him, and nothing that we ever do is ever enough to get back right with God. That's the experience of those who have chosen into sin, is that you also are married unto this law, this way of living, where you are sensing constantly God's perfect standard. That's what the law is given for, is to show us God's perfect standard. Here's who your God is. Here's his heart. Here's his desires. Here are his ways. Here's what righteousness looks like. But also it's given as a mirror to yourself. But look at you. You fall so far short. Look at your need. Look at your brokenness. Look at your unrighteousness. Look at your sinfulness. Look at how far you are from him. And, and this is life under the law. From the beginning of our sinfulness, we've been under this dreadful burden because we know that we've sinned. And we know as we hear God's law that it condemns us. We're crushed under the weight of guilt and shame and judgment. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Anybody ever been there? It's real quiet this morning. I have a feeling it means we're all sensing, right? Yeah, this is, this is true. You could describe it in this way as a cycle of despair. I've used this before. I'll use it again because this is often the way that we feel when we are in bondage to sin and bondage under the law. We are aware, very aware that we are stuck in our sin. We talked about that with bondage to sin itself. We're very aware. We're stuck and we cannot get unstuck by our own power. Now y'all just tell me, is this your experience? I, I, I think that it probably is. And once you get stuck, you start feeling guilty that you can't get unstuck. Can I get a witness? We wish we could get out of it, but we can't. And it makes us feel guilty before the Lord. Guilty before the law. And then I have a lot of guilt and I have a lot of failed attempts and what inevitably ends up happening is I get angry with myself. I ought to be able to get out of this. We feel that we should be able to get out, but we can't. I should be able to control this. I'm so sticking mad at myself again. Ugh. Anybody ever been there? Whether it's actual expression on the outside or if it's just that deep anger, hatred of self on the inside. And this anger over time leads to a fear. A place of fear. A fear that over time, see, you begin to fear that you're never going to change. I don't know if I'll ever be able to get out of this. We begin to realize our brokenness is controlling us. It's got control of me. I, I, this is going to completely consume me. I can end up in, and then you start imagining the worst case scenarios of where this could lead. Anybody ever been there? 
And eventually, that fear, if it's not dealt with, will lead to a kind of deep discouragement and even a depression. Because you start feeling sorry for yourself. You start having a pity party. You, you kind of have an attitude of resignation. I, I give up. I, I'm not going to ever change. I quit. And then you get filled with even more guilt. And guess what happens? The cycle starts all over again. Often in this place, you end up turning again to the very place that caused this cycle to start with. The thing you turn to for a solution becomes even more of a problem. Has anybody ever experienced anything related to this? I would, ima- I would imagine that probably we all have. And the reason that I would say I imagine that probably we all have, I'm asking you, I'm inviting you to testify to your own experience because the reason I'm saying it is because this is what the Bible is teaching. All of us are in bondage. We're in bondage to sin itself and we become to get in bondage to this life under the law. This is the life of the law, constantly under the weight of our sin and never always aware of it, but never able to get out of it. And the question, the question that I know, that I know, that I know you ask yourself, that I ask myself, who in the world can set us free? Oh, I long to be forgiven, but I also long to be free. Who can set us free? Who can break this cycle? And that's where the good news of Jesus Christ comes in like a beam of light on the darkest of days. Because this passage is not only about the reality of our bondage to sin and to the law, but it's also about Jesus and the work that God wants to do within you to set you free. So we move to the second part of the passage using the same two analogies. We move to talk about freedom. Because what Paul comes onto the scene and he says is, as we, as we look at freedom, you've got to understand something. Jesus frees us from bondage. Oh, thank you, God. Jesus comes and he can free you from bondage, bondage to sin and bondage to the law. Now, we're going to go back to these same two analogies. And we're going to look at how the Bible describes this freedom. In the first analogy, What we see is that the Bible describes that when Jesus comes into our life, when we are united to him by faith, something happens. He emancipates us from our slavery to sin itself. Aren't you grateful? But thanks be to God. Chapter 6, verse 17. Look at it. Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching with which, to which you are committed. And then he says something extraordinary. How did this happen? How did this heart change happen? Having been, what? Set free from sin. <laughs> Jesus Christ, when you trust him, when you come to a point of saying, oh, Jesus, I know that I'm sinful, I know that I'm broken, and I know only you can save me, and I look to you, Jesus, and I trust you, 
I unite with you, Jesus. I give my whole self to you. When that happens, something happens in your relationship with sin itself. The bondage that has forever been between you and sin, Jesus says, no more. I'm going to cut the chain. I'm going to deliver you from captivity. I'm going to emancipate you from slavery. Your slavery to sin is no more. You have been set free. Verse 22, chapter 6. Look at your Bible. But now that you have been what? Set free from what? From sin. And it becomes slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. It's this picture, this contrast of what God can do for the one who trusts in him. Emancipation. In Christ, here's what this emancipation means. We don't have to sin anymore. It's over. Our bondage to sin is done. We no longer have to sin anymore. Sure, we bring a lot of baggage into our Christian life, don't we? Am I the only one? (laughs) These things don't disappear overnight. But what I'm trying to say, what disappears is this. What disappears is the bondage. What disappears is the bondage. God makes us new. Look back to the words of Jesus, John chapter 8, verse 34. Jesus answered to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. But then he says, But the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. If the son sets you free, and what Jesus is saying is, listen, you are really, really free. Um, I think about Nicodemus who went to Jesus by night, right? John chapter 3. And he goes trying to figure all of this out. And what Jesus is saying is, oh, Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you, you have to know like something new has to happen in your heart. Like the Holy Spirit has to make you new. Like you've the old has to go and a new thing has to come. But I'm telling you, I bring a new thing. I'm paraphrasing this conversation with Nicodemus. Nicodemus, you're not going to ever get there trying to figure it out on your own, but you will get there if you can lean into what only God can do. And I'm telling you, God can make you new. Jesus is saying here in John chapter 8, God can set you free. And it may feel like a far-fetched idea to you if you're still in bondage to sin, but I'm here to tell you and declare good news to you this morning. If you come to Jesus Christ and you trust him, if you turn from sin and you put your faith in him, he can set you free. He can forgive you of all your sin and he can create a new work in your heart such that from the bottom of your heart, you now have a choice. A choice that you have not had up to this point. A choice to actually say no to sin and yes to Jesus. Aren't you grateful for the work of Jesus Christ? Uh Uh-oh, I've lost. It's all good. We're just going to pause.
they'll tell me what to do. <laughs> Believe me, I don't need slides to preach. You might be helped, but I'll be good. All right. Is this me or are you controlling, Ted? It's all me. All right. So the first analogy here is we've been set free from sin. If you have already trusted Christ in your life, this is your new spiritual reality. And you need to know this. You do not have to choose sin anymore. You've been set free. Aren't you grateful? Secondly, the second analogy is there's another kind of freedom. And this is a freedom not only from sin, but a freedom from the law. And Paul describes this freedom by describing a death in marriage. Now, it's kind of an interesting analogy, but we're going to look at it here in chapter 7. For he says, For you do, do you not know, brothers? I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, well, she's released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she'll be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive, but if her husband dies, she's free from that law, and if she marries another man, she's not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who's been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. All right, kind of a curious analogy. What he's saying is, um, we all know the law. You need to know the law. When you're married to another and you take those vows, you say, till death do his part. And we understand that those vows stand unless certain conditions are met. And here he's saying is, we know those vows stand until your spouse dies. And he's going, You've been, you were bound up to the law. We know this. You were like covenanted under the law. This is your life. Not only are you in bondage to sin, you're in bondage to the law. And the analogy of this is you were married to it. That's a, that's a covenant. Now, we know that if one of the spouses dies, right? Think about a marriage. If one of those partners dies, then what happens is the other spouse is free then to remarry. If they were to remarry before that, they would be called an adulteress. But if they remarry after that, no problem. Which is why this last verse becomes so important because what he's saying to you, verse 4, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law. Interesting shift. Your spouse didn't die. Rather, we have died. We died, it says, through the body of Christ. So what he's saying here is that we died in Christ when the law was fulfilled. His death, we talked about this from the last sermon, his death counted for our death. We were united to him by faith. When he died, we died. And he was raised, we were raised. He took the whole weight of the burden of the law upon himself. We no longer carry that burden on our backs. Therefore, our marriage to the law is over. Because when we're united to Christ by faith, his death counts for ours, and that death severs that covenant of marriage to the law.
Do you see it? We are now set free. We have freedom from the law. We're no longer under the law. This is why, go back to verse 14, if you look at your Bibles, the verse right before the passage we started today, where we ended last time. For sin will have no dominion over you since, and then what is this phrase? You are no longer under law, but under grace. You are no longer under law. That dreadful burden of the law that condemns us, reveals our disobedience, it is not the measure or the means by which we are saved. (laughs) That is done. This cycle of despair has now been replaced with a cycle of grace. We are now free from sin. We have the opportunity in every moment that we sin to go to God to ask his forgiveness, and we know that he can cleanse us from all sin and unrighteousness. We have forgiveness. That leads us to a humility and a gratitude. It gives us assurance that we are loved. And that love, as we studied in Romans chapter 5, leads us to hopefulness. And that hopefulness should lead us into more and more and more of Jesus. There is a new thing at work in our life. The cycle of the law and the cycle of despair under the law, we're severed from that. And God is doing a new thing. Aren't you grateful? God is working deep within us a new cycle, and it's a cycle that's defined by his grace. Our hearts are changing, and the way that we live has changed We are reminded again and again and again we are loved, that his work is sufficient. His grace is enough. Aren't you grateful for the ways that Jesus frees us? How he frees us from sin and he frees us from the law. Now, the crux of this message is going to land in the third section I don't want to talk to you about because we talked about our bondage. We talked about Jesus' freedom. And I wonder today, I believe we said it before we moved to the freedom part, we all knew we were in bondage, but before we moved to the next part, I just wonder, are we all in freedom? Because I'm telling you today, if you're here and you've not experienced freedom from sin and freedom from law, oh, I just want to declare to you, Jesus loves you. He came for you. He lived righteously for you. He died sacrificially on your behalf. He can forgive you. He went into the grave, (laughs) a death that you deserve to be. And after three days, he rose triumphantly and he is alive today. He is a victorious savior. And not only can he forgive you by his death, but he can free you by his power. And I'm telling you today, you can turn to Jesus even now and ask Jesus to forgive and to free you. The Bible says if you do that from your heart, he will. I just encourage you, come to Jesus. Once we come to Jesus, here's what happens. And this is the third and final part, the real crux of the message, is it leads us to a whole new way of life. And this life can be described with one word, a life of belonging, all right? So as we 
Look at this third part. We're going to be looking again at these two analogies and looking at this reality. Jesus sets us free from bondage. We've just talked about that. But there's a direction that all of this is meant to lead us. It's reflected in the main point from this morning that we've already discussed, that you've already written down, and I'm going to say it again right now. The direction of our freedom is meant to go wholly toward Jesus and choosing to offer ourselves wholly, completely, unreservedly, again and again, in every moment and for all time, we know that we know that we know that we belong to him and we want to belong to him. For the Christian, our life, yes, is marked by grace, but it's also marked by Godwardness. We are going to him with the freedom that we now have. <laughs> so as we look at these two analogies once more, we look at where this belonging leads us. In the first analogy from chapter 6, 15 to 23, we learn that we have a new master. <laughs> and with our new master, we now offer ourselves freely. Verse 15, what then? Are we to continue in sin because we're not under law, but under grace? In other words, you might get to the point of hearing the message about my bondage and then Christ freed him and you go, so I can live however I want to. And Paul's going, no, like don't you see that like, the whole point of God giving, pouring out his grace for you, the whole point of him freeing you is that now something changes within you. And here's the change, verse 16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you're slaves of the one who you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? Paul's personifying sin here like it has an individual existence. And he's saying, okay, in your life now, it's like you can imagine that sin is like a tyrant who's after you, trying to put you in shackles again. He's after you. He's trying to enslave you again. And you do not need to let that happen. How could you present yourselves to sin? You, you owe nothing to sin. There's no debt there. Jesus has set you free. How could you go back to that? Verse 17. But thanks be to God. That you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you have now become what? Slaves of what? Of righteousness. So there's a new master over your heart and over your life. He's saying you've been set free from the tyrant of sin. So now present yourselves to Christ. Out of a willing choice from your heart, knowing that you owe everything to him, knowing that you're loved by him, being grateful for him, Knowing you now belong to him, live at his feet. 
Live at the feet of the one who loved you and gave himself for you. You are now slaves of righteousness. Seek first, Jesus says, Matthew 5, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these things will be added to you. In other words, righteousness. What is right in God's sight? Look, give yourself to that which is of God. Feed the new man. Starve the old man. This is a picture of sanctification. See, Jesus has not just come for our justification, putting us right with God. He's also come for our sanctification, moving us in every practical area of our life to be Godward, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be living in such a way that we reflect the fullness of who God is and what he desires. Verse 19, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations, for just as you presented once your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. So now, present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Um, the picture here is one of, of surrender. And he's saying, look, um, Think of every member of your body, every ounce of who you are as like a tool, all right? Anybody ever used a hammer? Okay, I've, I've done it once or twice. I'm not particularly good at it. I usually hire people for those kinds of things. And anyway, um, you, you, you take a hammer, it's just objective. It's a hammer, right? It's neutral. That hammer can be used constructively to restore something to put something back together, to mend, to help, or it can be used destructively. It can be used in evil for great harm and great damage. That tool has an opportunity either direction. What Paul is helping us to see here is he's going, look, don't you recognize that your words, your mind, your tongue, your hands, your legs, your, your, every ounce of who you are is a tool. And you got to make a choice. Is it going to be used constructively or is it going to be used destructively? And what he's saying is now that you have been freed, present all that you are, every tool that you have to Christ. Let God reign over all that you are and all that you have. Let the whole of who you are be used for good. And he says in verse 20, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at the time from the things that you're now ashamed? The, those things ended in, in death. In other words, he's going... You know that, you know that, you know when you yielded yourself to sin that the outcomes of those things, you know the bondage we just talked about. You know those cycles that we just talked about. You know the destruction in your own self and in the lives of other people probably. Why would you continue in that way when Jesus has set you free? You now have a new way of yielding yourself in every moment of every day. Yield yourself to God, because in verse 23, 
He teaches us an important lesson. Yes, 22, yield yourself to God because if you do that, you'll get fruit. And in 23, this is the important point. There is always a payoff. There's always a payoff. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. There's always a payoff. If you don't give yourself to God, you'll become a slave again to sin. So for instance, if you are giving yourself once again, if you're going backwards, and you're giving yourself instead of to God and his great approval over you in Jesus Christ, if you're not giving your mind to God, I am approved I'm approved by God because of the perfect work of Jesus Christ. I'm accepted as a son. I don't need anything else from anyone because God has given to me in full by the, his heart of love for me and the nature of his grace toward me. If you, if you don't live with your mind toward God, then you could easily fall back again, let's say, into the slavery of approval of others. And if you end up doing that, there's always going to be a payoff. Because you're going to go back into that place of self-pity or envy, jealousy, having your feelings hurt, feeling inadequate. If you're giving yourself again to the slavery of being successful, you're going to go back again into that drivenness of life, being exhausted, constantly worrying, constantly being afraid, so on and so on. What he's saying is you have to see the payoff. And why in the world would you not do what verse 22 says, which is now that you've been set free, give yourself to your new master with your freedom. Because the payoff of your new master is good fruit. Life, true life now and forever. Like your heart will be filled with God and your heart will be filled with good sanctification, more of God, and true life. The free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So, you got a new master. So offer yourself freely. The second and closing analogy is this. As we consider that Jesus wants us to belong wholly to him, he says, not only do we have a new master, but you've got a new marriage. And in this new marriage, you need to offer yourself faithfully. As you look at chapter 7, verse 4, he says, look, my brothers, don't you know you've died to the law through the body of Christ? And then he says this, so that you may what? Belong to another. In other words, one marriage has ended, but another marriage has begun. When you die with Christ, your marriage to the law is over. But when you were raised with Christ, your new marriage to a faithful spouse has begun. You may belong to another, to who? To him who has been raised from the dead. Why? In order that we may bear fruit for God. Verse 5. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But 
Now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that, what? We may serve in a new way of the Spirit. What he's saying here is, we belong to a new husband. We're no longer under law. We're no longer married to law. We're now married to Christ. We're no longer married to to fear. We're now married to grace. And we belong to him. We are his bride. How could we then, knowing that he loved us and gave himself for us, how could we do anything but, but live to please him, to be grateful in our loving, ongoing relationship with him? What he's saying is becoming a Christian, all right, involves a whole new kind of relationship. It's a change of relationship and it's a change in allegiance. When you get married, some of you guys have experienced this, there's really no part of your life that's unaffected. And the same is true for us in a relationship with Jesus. What Paul's trying to say is, look, we've now been married to Jesus. We've fallen in love with Jesus. We've entered into a covenant relationship with Jesus, and it changes us as comprehensively as an earthly marriage changes us. Can we live as we choose? How could we? (laughs) We are in love with Christ. Sure, it involves in some way like some sense of loss of personal freedom and independence, but that is good for us because we now belong to one who loves us, who gave himself for us. We gladly, we joyfully belong to him, and we are faithful in our belonging. We have a new master, and we offer ourselves freely. And we have a new marriage, and we offer ourselves faithfully. We've gone from bondage to freedom and to belonging. And this belonging is where God wants us all to be because he set us free for this reason, that we may belong wholly to him. We who were once in slavery to sin in marriage to the law have now been set free We've been emancipated from sin. We've experienced a death in marriage that frees us from both sin and the law. And the direction of all of this is that we might belong wholly to God, freely and faithfully offering ourselves to him. The main point this morning I told you from the beginning is that Jesus delivers us from bondage to sin and he sets us free in every moment and for all time to belong wholly to God. And the question I would ask you this morning is, are you living free? Are you choosing to belong wholly to God? I wonder As I was thinking about this sermon this week, I thought, Lord, like, help, help. 
I called Mitchell in my office on Thursday. I was processing with him, and I said, Mitchell, I want to walk you through this sermon, but I want to tell you that if I get to the end of this sermon, if people don't hear this in a pastoral way, if they just hear this intellectually, and they don't hear it personally and pastorally, like, the word has not had its intended effect. Because the point of this sermon is not just to understand this passage, it's to change our lives. I really believe that there are many of us who need to hear this morning that Jesus came not just to forgive you, but to free you. To hear what Jesus can do when you unite to him by faith. And for those of us who have been united by him, to him by faith, we need to hear what in the world, what in the world are we doing continuing to offer ourselves to sin? Many of you have heard, I mentioned last week, we were out in the parking lot about the re- revival that's been breaking out on some of these college campuses. I don't mean to ask you to believe it or not believe it. I'm not trying to get into the semantics. All I know is people have been worshiping for weeks on end. That's pretty cool. It's pretty amazing. The revival that broke out on the campus of Asbury happened at the end of the service when one person, one single person, which was courageous enough to respond to the Holy Spirit's invitation. And the pastor, in his own feeble way, by his own description, was trying to proclaim the love of God. And why would you turn to anything else if the love of God is so full? One single person came forward and said, I've got some things to tell you. I've been turning to X, Y, and Z. I've been hurt in these ways. I've been broken in these ways. I've been in bondage in these ways. I need Jesus to set me free. One single person who heard truth of God's love and God's deliverance, God's promise of healing for those who come and who surrender. They said, why would I, why would I not respond? And they did the courageous thing by stepping forward and dealing. See, the first step is you've got to step forward to God and to others, and you've got to admit, I need help. I'm living in the old man. I'm living in slavery. This stuff is eating me up. It feels like nothing's going to change, but Jesus has changed me. There is a way out. Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I keep giving myself over to sin when, Jesus, you came to bring freedom. Oh, Jesus, I'm sorry, and I want you to breathe new life in me. Bring more freedom. I want to offer all of myself to you. When we get out of these cycles of some of us living as Christians and yet we're constantly wondering, do I I measure up? Have I done enough? I just need to achieve a little bit more. I feel insecure before other people. I feel insecure before God. I I, got to work hard. I got to evaluate myself. I feel so frustrated because I failed. No, that's living in the law, friend. Jesus set you free from that way of thinking. He loves you and he's poured out his grace upon you. There is a new work in your life. Don't live under the law. Live in his grace. So today, as we close, I, I, don't, I can't manufacture revival in you. 
But I do know from God's word that if you repent, a time of refreshing will come. And I do know that there's many of us today that need to repent. We need to look to Jesus and remember who he is and what he came to do. And we need to repent because there's things in our life that do not belong to him. And we need to confess our sins. We need to, this morning, we need to confess our sins and we need to forsake them. And we need to offer ourselves to God freely and faithfully for the fruit of that is life in God now and forever. Father, thank you for this word. And we pray that it would have its intended effect that even now by your Holy Spirit there would be repentance, there would be turning, there would be faith. Father, we we pray that you would breathe on us life by your Holy Spirit. Would you give grace today? Would you give grace to the person right now who is dealing with guilt, with pride, with fear, and they're on, on the precipice. Even now, they're on the precipice of surrender. Oh, Holy Spirit, would you, just, would you just move their heart to go ahead and surrender? Would they hear your voice? I've come that you might know the truth and the truth set you free. Father, I pray that the allure of your gospel, of your grace, of your love, of your freedom and your life would be stronger than the allure of sin at this moment. Oh, Father, would you free us from the bondage to sin and to the law. Oh, Father, even now, would you save some? Even now, the one who is here in this room, who is still holding on to themselves and their sin, would they release themselves into your hands? Would they believe upon you? Would they receive the gift of life? Oh, Father, would you forgive them and would you free them? Would you make them new? Lord, for those of us who are saved and are just holding on to things that don't belong, Father, would you break our hearts? Would you allow us the courage to be honest about what needs to change? And would you give us the power to bring that change about? Lead us to surrender, Lord. Lead us to surrender. We belong to you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. The altar is open. There's prayer counselors who will be up front. Let's continue to posture ourselves as we sing this song of surrender to be surrendered in our hearts in specific ways, to turn to Jesus, to trust him, to yield ourselves to him freely and faithfully. Thanks again for listening to this Bible teaching from Island Community Church. We want to encourage you to join us for worship in person soon. No podcast can replace God's good design of gathering with other believers in a local church. For more gospel resources and ways to connect with our church, visit us at iccmemphis.com. We offer a prayer of blessing for you from Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope.